Now you can show your support for Inside MusicCast by making a donation at InsideMusicCast.com. Your donation will help us to continue producing future episodes of Inside MusicCast and keep Inside MusicCast radio streaming 24-7. You can also receive special Inside MusicCast merch, such as t-shirts, stickers, and coasters for your support at various levels. Find out more at InsideMusicCast.com. From all of us at Inside MusicCast, thank you for your support. Mika Millar is not well known in the States, but word is quickly spreading about her incredible vocals and well-crafted songs. The Manchester, UK-based singer recently released her debut album titled Heaven Knows, and when you hear it, you'll know that the name Mika Millar will be known everywhere very soon. What makes her story and music even more remarkable is the fact that she suffered a horrible spinal injury at the onset of recording her new album. It stopped everything cold. Today, Mika talks to us about the miracle of her music, the challenges, and the eventual release of Heaven Knows. MusicCast is pleased to welcome Mika Millar. Hey Mika, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's great yeah. to be here. Yeah. And, um, you know, of course, we're here, Rick, to talk about um, the release of, uh, of Mika's debut album, which was released mid-last year mm-hmm. in 2022, and it's called Heaven Knows. Yeah. And, uh, but first, you know, we need to really throw out a thank you to Lloyd Bolton from your PR team, Mika. He's been very helpful in connecting us to you. So thank you very much, Lloyd. Great. Thanks so much, Lloyd. <laughs> That's good. You've got too many people to thank on your side of the fence, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Great uh, team over here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know. by the way, I'm also very happy to be holding it in my hands, a copy of your double record LP, and you signed oh. it for me. So thank oh, you. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. And uh, if I may say so, as a creative director myself, the design, the packaging, and the overall presentation – it's it's stellar, very nicely done. Did uh, let's talk about the aesthetics here. Did you have a lot of control over how it how it looked, the the photo shoots and everything? It's done so nicely. Thank you so much. I actually designed that myself, so I'm very pleased that it's come out so well. And it's the first sort of vinyl packaging design that I've done. I mean, I'm not a graphic designer, but I I like to design, you know. So I do a lot of my own sort of visuals and. Um, the concept for the photo shoot for the front of the sleeve was yeah. sort of collaborative between me and the photographer, um, Andy. And, um, yeah, it That's was, nice. we took it in, in a, in a cathedral venue that kindly let us shoot. In fact, it's, it's the same venue that we, I did the album launch show in Manchester in my hometown. And also that we shot the video for heaven knows title track. So it, I'm actually lying on some floorboards <laughs> with, <laughs> flowers around me on the on the artwork yeah it's very very nice nice touches very you. nice thank but, you well Mika we do want to talk more about the album but um you know the fact that this record was even released in some ways is, is kind of a, a miracle because you, you've had some major challenges and as we understand and maybe you can explain this better but in January of 2020 you suffered a horrible accident where your back was broken and it left you paralyzed from the waist down Talk to us about what happened, if you could, because we're really curious about, you know, how you recovered from that mm-hmm. and, and created this album. Sure. Well, I'll, first of all, I'll correct you that I, I wasn't paralyzed from the accident, but I was very close to paralysis. So okay. I had a okay. had an accident in a, it was a, we were, I was doing trampolining as a sort of recreational sports activity, I suppose, <laughs> in yeah. dry January, which is always a bad idea um seemingly so yeah we, my me, me and my friend decided we'd go trampolining we were doing some classes i you know i i made an error let's say of judgment and landed really badly 
and I basically crushed a vertebrae um, in my spine, oh, my which damaged my spinal cord. So it was very, very close call, but I had an amazing surgeon and I'm still sort of actually just having some neurophysiotherapy at the moment because I have some nerve damage and stuff like that. But obviously that was right in the in the midst of really the, the creation process for the album. And then, of course, following that, we in March in the UK, we had a lockdown from COVID. And so there was a lot of sort of really difficult things happening around that time. But I think the really positive thing that I sort of took out of that was that it gave me some time. I think I'd been kind of going round and round in circles a little bit. And, you know, other artists probably listening will appreciate that, you know, you can get yourself into a bit of a, I suppose, self-critical state or over-analytical state about music in that during that process. And I think that's where I'd gotten to yeah. when I had my accident. And so actually being forced to take sort of some time away and, you know, like process things and, and you know, deal with my injury, let's say, was quite a positive thing. And obviously because of COVID, it then made me sort of have to approach the the rest of the album and the, the finishing of the album in a very different way, incorporating things like Zoom and working with other people from, you know, from the US and things like that. Obviously, I sort of realised at a certain point, well, if we're going to be recording remotely via Zoom, then it doesn't need to necessarily be with people in the UK. So it sort of allowed me to spread that, my net a bit wider in terms of who I collaborated with, which was an amazing process. And I think really helped me to become a much better producer in a way, because I was able to kind of work with individual musicians one-on-one, -on -one, select particular people for particular songs rather than a group of musicians for the entire album. So mm -hmm. it was really interesting um, process. So, yeah, you know, good things come out of, of challenging times, don't they? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Do. You know, I was thinking about, you know, the, the injury itself. I mean, it was such a, a pretty major injury, so to speak. And, and I just wondered how you recovered and, and if it affected your voice at all and if there was some, uh, if, if it affected your singing and how you recovered from that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously when you have an injury like that, I was in a back brace for nine months and so, hmm. and I was relearning to walk again and you lose a lot of sort of, your muscles deteriorate very, very quickly. So yeah. you're not able to bend or they call it lunging, don't lunge. Uh -huh. So, but, you know, you can't do anything of that ilk and so obviously your core muscles deteriorate and that's what you you know you're using your whole body to sing aren't you but a lot of that comes from your core muscles so there was a period of sort of rehabilitating in general sort of learning to walk and rehabilitating my muscles which I'm still undergoing you know this is um yeah. three years later you know so yeah. it's not a it's a long-term injury but I'm so much better than I was and you know that I actually think singing and sort of rehabilitating uh, my vocals was helpful to rebuilding a lot of the muscles in my back as well, you know, because you're using them to do that in a different way than you might do in like formal exercise. So, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, it's from what you went through and, you know, and the challenges and, and even your sustained injuries, which we, you're working through right now. I mean, it's, uh, is this where the concept of Heaven Knows was born? I mean, the whole album alludes to, you know, overcoming challenges in one way or another. But, you know, you talk about love, empowerment, and um, human nature. Talk to us about how this all came together. Was there a concept before the injury, or did it evolve afterwards? I mean, it's a bit of both, I suppose. I think a lot of the songs were written prior oh. to my injury, and they were sort of in their, I would say their infancy. We'd done a studio session and where we'd been away for sort of six days with a group of musicians and recorded... I would say the bedding tracks for the record um, and then I was kind of overdubbing bits and doing my vocals at the time that I had my accident. I think I'd written Preacher Man, which I sort of find quite amusing now, which I've written Preacher Man because obviously the, one of the lines in Preacher Man is jump for your life, you know, yeah. and then I, and then I had an accident on a trampoline <laughs> shortly <laughs> afterwards. So yeah. it, it was quite strange, really. But I suppose, you know, it's interesting how songs kind of evolve, isn't it? You write them. Yeah. And a lot of the way I write is is I, I use a lot of like um, stream of consciousness writing. So often it, you're not necessarily 
coming with a sort of this is the concept or you know it's sort of just what what's coming out of you and how that evolves and it, i find it really interesting how you can kind of reinterpret songs and mm-hmm. they they take on a new meaning depending on wh- where your head's at in, at that particular time so i've certainly found some interesting things within the songs later after having had my accident but i would say it, that was sort of a the themes and the the topics and those <laughs> had kind of evolved prior to my accident yeah gotcha mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, when when people take a listen to this album, heaven knows, you know, they'll immediately know that this is a, a soul album, oh, yeah. you know, in its purest sense. And, you know, Eddie and I and, you know, obviously people here in the States know soul well. But in the UK, historically, mm-hmm. you guys do soul really well over oh, there. Yeah. And, and tell us about your obvious passion and love for soul music. And, and when did you fall in love with it? Oh, wow. I fell in love with soul music when I was eight. And I first heard Stevie Wonder on a vinyl record. Mm-hmm. And I thought wow what's this and i've been exploring it ever since you know and yeah. and the amazing thing about i mean of all genres but particularly in soul music there's just so many artists with such a huge back catalogue you know people that you love like stevie wonder where you can still find songs that you've never heard before you know <laughs> isn't that true yeah um, right yeah so it's i mean it's a beautiful thing so i think soul music's just always connected with me in a very sort of spiritual way and um you know i'm i'm heavily inspired by um american soul music ultimately i think what the british do very well is you know we take inspiration from american music and then we sort of bring our britishness to it and then <laughs> you know um hopefully deliver it back to back to the us and, the, and it has a little bit of a you know a bit of a difference to it but it comes you know, back better let's face it <laughs> do you think so that's, that's nice <laughs> but, but you know all of my inspirations are are you know american soul artists you know ultimately and i think a lot of british artists would say the same thing to mm-hmm. be fair <laughs> <laughs> you know i want to talk about um I'll call it your gift. And uh, and that's plain and simple singing. And, you know, it's such a wonderful, powerful voice and, you know, being an alto. And when did you first discover? I mean, you've been listening to music, you know, into the soul and since eight, mm-hmm. you mentioned very early on. And, and uh, so when did you discover it? I mean, many people can sing. But how old were you when you realized that you really could sing and, and people started taking notice? I think it's a long process. I I was always a songwriter before I was a vocalist and people always laugh and say that can't possibly be true. But when I was a kid, I loved writing songs from being about the same age, about eight. I've got a songbook actually that I have from that age still. And um, I think at that time I wasn't a particularly good vocalist. I certainly could pitch and there was definitely, if I listen back to very early recordings of which I have things from maybe when I was, 14 or 15 there's a lot of sort of passion in my voice and emotion and the pitching's good but it's not very well controlled let's say that and so I think through the repetition of songwriting because if I'm if I'm writing I kind of or I used to do this a lot more than I do I use different approaches now but I, I did a lot of writing on the piano and I would find that I would kind of continuously repeat the same chords and sort of sing over the top of it and I would mm-hmm. I would be really repetitive about singing the lines to find the next line mm-hmm. and I think when you I mean it's a muscle ultimately vocals isn't it so people often say how did you discover your voice and I, I don't think I did discover it. I think I sort of honed it and found it gradually mm-hmm. and eventually it did just start to evolve into this style that I suppose was um you know subconsciously um, and to some degree, probably consciously as well, and drawn from the music that I that I loved. And I feel like I listen to a lot of different, you know, growing up in a household where I listened to a lot of different artists, I loved soul music and my mum loved soul music, but my dad was really into like folk and blues and, you know, artists like Tracy Chapman and Joni Mitchell and, you know, those kind of things. So I feel like there's a lot of like nuances in my voice that almost perhaps are you know that come from across you know you you find these amazing things that you sort of hear <laughs> in people and mm-hmm. i think they go in subconsciously and they come out in your own way don't they so i think that was the journey that i kind of went on and i i think probably 
the first time I remember, because I used to play play songs in my bedroom, and I remember my older sister used to shout up the stairs, shut up, because she'd be really <laughs> frustrated that I was just repeating the same thing over and over again. And I remember there was one time that she came upstairs and said, my God, what's that? It's amazing, you know. Yeah. And I think that was a real turning point for me. Where it's like, <laughs> I guess oh, so. <laughs> the person who's, you know, really frustrated with this really likes it. She's play it again, you know. So, yeah, I, you know, it, but it's a, it's a, it's a muscle, I suppose, and it's a, it's a con- constant learning process for me. I, you know, I like mm-hmm. to continue to improve. <laughs> like you know, you mentioned Stevie Wonder, and you've also just talked about growing up and the music that you heard you know, in your house that your parents were playing and, and the stuff that, you know, you that really influenced you. But is there someone in particular through all of the, the listening you've done and, and when you were honing your vocal skills, is there is there one or two artists that you really latched on to that you felt like this is who I'm molding myself after? Not necessarily. I mean, I, I, I felt it's vocal performance for me is a very organic process, yeah. but obviously you're, you're definitely listening to artists. I do remember listening to Aretha Franklin singing, I never loved a man and having a sort of light bulb moment where yeah, I, yeah. where I realized how she communicated sort of every syllable and word with this, you know, the, the sort of gospel influence in that where it's almost like this preaching where you, you're really telling and you, you you mean everything you say and you you say it with a tonality that also communicates what you're saying and the way that she mastered that so eloquently yeah. was like this sort of, that I do remember that being very sort of pr- prominent and present in, in my and I didn't hear that till quite a lot later, but then sort of, I don't think, I think I kind of knew that, but I hadn't really intellectualized it since then, mm-hmm. if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. So, yeah. Yeah. Aretha Franklin, that's a great comparative. Bec- I, I saw Aretha Franklin and during, it was a concert she did here uh, in our area, pretty much towards the end of her career. And I remember when mm-hmm. she came out on the stage, she had to have a couple of guys like escort her and help her out onto the stage because she was pretty mm-hmm. frail. And I and I and I when I saw her come out to the stage and she basically stood in one spot and sang the entire night. But I thought, what kind of? A, she just looked like she was weak, you know, mm-hmm. coming out to the stage. She was dressed beautifully, and mm-hmm. but but when she opened her mouth, it's like she just it like wind blew but my hair back, you know. Yeah, <laughs> she still had Absolutely. all the power and all the grace and everything that you know you, we come, came to know from her, and she was just incredible. incredible. So glad mm-hmm. I got to hear her perform live. Yeah. Um, you not only wrote all 14 songs on Heaven Knows, but you also produced and even published your album on your own label, which means yes. that you know you financed the record on your own to make it happen. This mm-hmm. you know this isn't a small business undertaking by any means. So talk to us about how you decided to launch your own label. <laughs> yes, good, good question. Well, I think you know if I give you the very, I'll try and give you the short version of a very long story. But I think I'd trying to understand how to enter the music industry from being very early you know from a very early age i suppose has always been this sort of conundrum in many ways and i suppose i spent a lot of time recording music that wasn't really ready for release let's say Mm -hmm. you know i didn't have the facility to do that and obviously Mm -hmm. we're in such an amazing position now aren't we that we've got all this technology at our fingertips and and social media tools and all of that kind of stuff but i did a lot you know over the years i I worked a little bit in like marketing for festivals, doing like PR and social media and things alongside being a musician when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And um, I suppose all of my skills and experiences all kind of came together at the same point. And it felt like the only way to do this is to do this yourself. You know, there, it didn't seem to me to be fair and viable options and I came into a, a, a some inheritance, small amount of inheritance, probably a large amount to a lot of people, and I don't mean that like you know like that, but mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't hundreds of thousands or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, I came into some inheritance. My sister used her inheritance to put two with her husband for a deposit on a house, and my brother spent it on Bitcoin, invested in Bitcoin, and I just <laughs> thought, actually, you know, this is what I want to do. Um, and I think if you, I think you need to put your money where your mouth is ultimately. And I think, you know, 
the very difficult thing, and I, I go and do like, you know, I do these sort of talks with students at music university, and I used to teach at a music university, and they say, you know, how have you done this and how have you done that? And I think the, the sad thing about it is as much as you can provide advice to people about how they're going to make their way in the music industry, the truth of the matter, as I've found it, is that you have to invest and create music and that costs money mastering costs money you know all of those things and and marketing is incredibly expensive but it's it's incredibly important as well so i suppose i kind of just came to the conclusion that that was what i needed to do and i basically just spent everything that i had on doing it (laughs) and it seems to have seems to have worked quite well so far but we'll see ask me again in another year and you know i don't know but it's all it seems all to be kind of going in the right direction but that's why i did i did that i didn't feel like there was a you know there was the option to i did get offered some label deals and i didn't feel like they were suitable nor did my solicitor so Mm -hmm. it was kind of you know it was that or don't do it at all really yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah. what a what a benefit though because a lot of musicians and and we've spoken to our share of them too you know Mm -hmm. especially during covid when everyone's writing you know and and creating fresh music Uh, a Mm -hmm. lot of musicians are are sometimes musicians but you've worn so many caps you've worn the marketing cap the the, you know Mm -hmm. the the, you know the submersion into the music industry in a way but Mm -hmm. so i mean you're a a very special (laughs) creature out there because (laughs) not many people can market their own music successfully really we that's the fact you know Um, and and i think a lot of the time you know i have a very i think i am quite strange in that way you know i like both sides of that i think the main challenge for me in terms of putting on different hats is more around how do you shift sort of um fluidly between one mindset and the other you know what I mean so like at the moment we're sort of building up towards doing another campaign around another single and I'm editing a music video at the same time as trying to create the following track uh, but we're also in campaign mode, which is doing interviews with you guys and like, you know, making sure social media is updated, sorting out all mm-hmm. that. So it's quite a sort of, you know, I'm not saying it's left brain, right brain, because that's, I think that's just a farce, isn't it? But you know what I mean? It's that sort of moving between those two mental yeah. spaces that can be quite difficult. And I'm quite a focused person as well. So once I get into doing a task, I'm like very focused on it. So if I'm, I'm in sort of like marketing mode, it's like hard for me to get yeah. into creating mode and then and, and the opposite as well if I get into creative mode I want to kind of stay there for six months ideally <laughs> you know um, so yeah it's it that's yeah. that's very difficult really but yeah. but aside from that you know I, I I feel very lucky that I that I um that I enjoy both aspects of that and that I've, that my life has somehow um worked out that I've ended up having experience in both of those areas yeah. that could be brought to the project you know sure you know, uh, Mika, you you play piano, or at least you know in my mm-hmm. liner notes that I read, um, you know you've played piano and and even synths and even arranged strings on several tracks. Um, mm-hmm. Did you study piano or attend music at school at any time in your life? No, you know I'm not. I have to say I'm not. I don't call myself a pianist by any stretch of the imagination, and I do. You know, I I'm not a, also a. Um, a person who studied you know music at university or or particularly that well adept at music theory I mean I obviously have some knowledge to some extent but I'm I'm certainly not at the same level as some of the musicians that I play with and so my sort of I suppose my route into music was all by ear and uh, you know the piano is like self-taught sort of um and and you really used as a tool for writing songs and for music production. But I think I I've always had sort of a an inherent um, I suppose an inherent understanding of structure in terms of a song and and the arrangements. And that's the bit that I think I mm-hmm. I enjoy writing the song and structuring the parts of the instrumentation and kind of producing. Um, the musicians and and hear and listening. I do everything by ear. You know, you listen, you see what makes you feel something, and you say, yeah. well, "I like that," or "I don't like that," and you, or you pick parts and you edit them together. So I have a kind of, you know, a I suppose a fairly sort of creative way of approaching things, and I almost 
don't like to know too much theory because I feel like it takes some of the magic away. I don't know whether that's just an excuse because I can't be bothered yeah. or whether whether it's true. But um but yeah, that's kind of, you know, that's the way I approach things. I think that the disadvantage to doing that though is that I it takes me a long time, you know, if I'm trying to find what it is that I want to do. It's not as simple as going, oh well, that's where that goes to. I have to kind of search for search for what I'm looking to do. <laughs> you, know? you, you seem like the kind of person uh, that would listen to a track, even not even yours, but and break it down. I mean, you have the mm. ear to be able to to chop up music and to see what a baseline is in the orchestrations. You seem sure. uh, there's a lot of musicians that have that. And, and what you're explaining basically is you have an ear. You, mm-hmm. you know, you have an ear. You hear what you like and you create and you evaluate that, hey, that's what I want. And, and mm-hmm. that's, that, that's another part of the gift. Like we were talking about not only the voice, but it's the ear also. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that's something that you hone over time. And certainly when I went into the album process, um, I had never produced. I mean, I had produced a couple of songs of mine previously, but that it was a real learning curve for me to sort of take on such a huge project. And there were definitely times through that process where I thought, what have you done? You know, and you and you're not capable of doing this or yeah. seeing it through, really. But, you know, you, you persevere, don't you, until you get it done. Um, so, yeah. Well, you know, the opening track on the album is a track called Girl. And if you guys don't mind, let's pause for a second and let's check it out. From our guest today, Mika Millar, from her debut album, Heaven Knows, on Inside Music Cast. Girl, don't wish your life away. It's a do-round. Got nothing but today. know that you belong in the moments here to stay. Don't get lost in yesterday. Tomorrow's just a day away. to the album heaven knows it, it's really sonically uh well recorded and produced it sounds yeah. beautiful and the, the other thing about that too is it sounds very consistent from start to finish and then when you look at 
how you recorded this and where you recorded it, you know, it was at several studios, you know, around the mm -hmm. world, in Manchester yeah. and New York and Minneapolis and Devon mm -hmm. and Nashville and, and L.A. working with Brian Maloof and, and other locations. So was it because of the fact that you were working with different studios, but why were so many locations? Was that COVID-related? And Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. Was that yeah. really the issue? Well, I mean, initially we'd gone and recorded at one studio, which was Middle Farm in Devon, and that was five musicians, yeah. five days. We recorded 17 songs in five days. Wow. Four, Holy cow. Ten of, <laughs> ten of which I think have ended up on the album, but those recordings weren't sort of the final finished recordings. They uh -huh. were sort of more like bedding tracks. So yeah. all of the drums largely across the album came from that recording. And I think mm -hmm. sonically, there's a lot that drums do in terms of consistency yeah. <laughs> across an album. Although I know that, so No Money, No Faith and Girl and Preacher Man I'm trying to think. There's any those don't have the same drums, so you and and more than and will I see you again doesn't either. And I I can actually tell the sonic difference between will I see you again. I think is one that would have benefited probably from having been done in the room with musicians mm. and not doing it via Zoom. Yeah. However, I think there is you know that I think there are approaches that you can take. So I'm not saying I would necessarily recommend doing it like that, but the yeah. reason, the benefit of doing it like that for me is that you can kind of pay attention to each individual part. And where I find that challenging is in a studio with five people all playing together, you can kind of listen yeah. to it holistically. But if you're trying to sing at the same time because they need you to do that or there's, you know, there's a lot going on in the studio. There's kind of press time pressures and things like that. Paying attention to the sort of tiny intricacies and details of each individual instrument for 17 songs is just not possible. So there's, there's a benefit to kind of taking that away and then going, actually, I don't really like what the bass is doing there. Let's overdub that. Mm -hmm. And, and I think if you, if you have those beds and you're, you're overdubbing certain parts only, then you're, you're, probably going to be able to maintain a consistent sound. I mean, we recorded yeah. everything at 96K, which is potentially excessive and took up a lot of my computer processing power. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but also, I think paying attention to what the musicians in different spaces are using. So, for example, in Girl, the drums were recorded in a studio in New York, but a great studio that can get a really good sound. And actually... I wanted a very specific drum sound for that that was sort of much hmm. more vintage and reminiscent of, you know, that sort of old soul mm -hmm. um, vibe yeah. and that and a kind of New York sound, which we didn't really get in the Middle Farm Studios recordings to that extent. Right, so right, I right. think in a way, you know, you're kind of you're sort of creating a palette, aren't you? And so if it's all of if it's all of a similar sort of genre. <laughs> then you know bringing in sort of uh, varying elements of that genre in different ways can keep it still consistent if you know what i mean and also communicating with the musicians so if people were recording remotely what are they you know what interface are they going through what compressor are they using what instrument yeah. are they using and making sure that everything's done at a really high level and high quality yeah. and that's the bit for me that is the attention to detail is you know making sure that that the what's coming in is as best it can be because you can't polish something later it's, right. it is what it is you know so and oh and of course brian maloof mixing the album was was evidently mm -hmm. um something that helped sort of create that cohesion across you know i mean those two songs that weren't mixed by brian aside from I think it's more than you give me and my lover that weren't mixed by brian but everything else was mixed by brian and um he did a fantastic job of creating that cohesion with the mixes i think too well what we're talking about recording and you know obviously all the instrumentation that was recorded in in various places mm -hmm. were your vocals tracked all in one location or did you record your vocals in in various locations no, the vocals are tracks all in my home studio, actually. Okay. So that's yeah. helpful. Wow. And all with largely with the same microphone, although some variation on microphones with backing vocals. But the lead mm -hmm. vocal is pretty much bar one or two songs, I think, recorded on the, on the same microphone. 
Well, that was actually leads to my next question, which is, uh, what is your mic of choice? What mic do you use for your for your lead vocal, and do you pass it through any particular kind of uh, preamp? Is there a specific preamp that you like best? Gosh, now you're asking. <laughs> yes, there is. It's a six ten B preamp. That's like an. It's I use an Apollo twin, so it's a, it's like an emulator of um, a six ten B, and it's. Um, a Sontronics area that I use, although I have tried a couple of other Sontronics. It's a British brand, Sontronics, uh-huh. um, and that's what I use for the record, a number of their their Sontronics mics. They actually have a, a Sontronics Corona, one of their microphone brands, and they and they said to me, it's funny, we were going to take that you know, off sale when the virus came into play, but they said they sold they sold more of those <laughs> when coronavirus <laughs> happened than they'd ever sold before. So they they carried on with it. Yeah. So yeah, there's a few different their microphones are just fabulously engineered. Yeah. And they 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 suit my voice because they are they I mean, I'm not saying because it's my voice is quite loud and it's it's very responsive, but also it's very delicate as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. well, we told you that we'd get geeky on you with all the technical stuff. We told you that. <laughs> we <laughs> we did indeed. Yeah. And, you know, I, my technical knowledge is 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 a mixed bag, let's say, that a lot of the time I'm, I ask other people what they think. And, I, you know, I have lots of other people who I, I respect <laughs> their yeah. opinions, Brian being yeah. one of those mm-hmm. people. And yeah. that was a great process to go through actually working with Brian on mixing the record and kind of going, okay, well, I hear this, but I don't really know what that, what that pertains to you know what i mean can you can you educate me so there was a lot of that going on as well and i, I think it's you know it's something i'd like to have i'd like to brush up my technical skills further you know but yeah th- that will come with album two no yeah, doubt absolutely <laughs> well just for our the information for our audience if, if you're not familiar with brian maloof uh, you know just listen to prince stevie wonder and michael jackson and you'll um no, I think he's on. He worked on the Bad album, so um, he did. You know, he, he uh, check into his music. You got some top people, of course. All of this, you know, it culminates um, for consistency. We were talking about that a little bit. Um, that you mastered at Abbey Road with a very renowned engineer, Jeff Mpechi, and yeah. who is quoted in saying that this album, Heaven Knows, is his favorite project of the year, and. Uh, Quite impressive to get that kind of a comment from from Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. I, it was, and it's lovely because he's he did that twice. You know, they do like a, a roundup at the end of the year where they ask all the top engineers to recommend mm-hmm. their favorite records of the year, and he recommended me that album before it came out, so in twenty twenty two, and he's just done it again in twenty twenty three, which is lovely of him. So, yeah, I mean, me and him worked very well together. He's quite a perfectionist like me as well and he loves soul music so it was the perfect person to work with on on it. and I'd not been to Abbey Road before so oh. it was one of those you know where I thought where am I going to master this now <laughs> actually <laughs> a good choice you know, there's, yeah there's only one place really isn't there so yeah just wanted to talk to you about a couple of musicians that you brought in to work on this album and and uh one, Eddie and I are, and a lot of our audience are huge fans of Snarky Puppy, and you brought in Bobby Sparks yes. uh, to play organ on keys on your track, Well, I See You Again. And you yes. also brought in uh, another great musician, Jerry Barnes, who, who's played with Whitney, Nile Rodgers, and Sheik. T- talk yeah. to us about these two. So, yeah, I mean, both amazing musicians. Jerry Barnes, we kind of connected, I think he just started following me on Instagram, actually, a, a while ago. And We'd connected and he'd said he wanted to collaborate on some stuff. And I hadn't written Preacher Man, I don't think, at that time. And when I'd finished writing it and I'd sort of arranged it and the bass part that was in it, and I thought, who could play bass on this? And I mm. thought, I know, just <laughs> the person. Yeah. And it just felt like a real like serendipitous thing. And I said to him, do you want to put some bass on this? And he was like, absolutely. You know, so he had a kind of, you know, the bass line was sort of mapped out for him. And it's a fairly, you know, it's a very simple bass part. So very easy for him to master. But um, but I think he gave a real sort of his feel to it, you know, which was great. Um, and Bobby Sparks came as a recommendation via a drummer called P.G. Bell, who does a lot of work with them. Um, oh, who is it? God, her name's gone from my head. Anyway, so he'd recommended Bobby Sparks for, for the keys part for this track. Mm-hmm. And again, and just an incredible player, really. So oh, he yeah. put down, I sent him, you know, the sort of the, the rough piano part and a sort of rough organ part with the with the track. And 
he he sent me back you know sort of like these la- layers upon layers of things that were just beautifully done you know and obviously whenever you receive tracks back from musicians there's a there's a lot of editing that goes into that sort of mold and shape the part with your um vision for the arrangement and the instrumentation but I had such a lot of lovely options from him in terms of you know I think he gave me a wordy part an organ part a piano part a different piano part you know so it was he's just you know he's very accommodating and he's just got a really great feel so yeah Yeah. it's great to work with him yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. you know every track on this album and we've been talking about this uh, in prep for the chat um, are excellent. Every track is is great. There's no fillers. You know, <laughs> every song is very. Um, that must be very difficult because, you know, how do you choose a single to release? And and uh, because you're the one that's making most of these decisions, uh, talk to yeah. us about the tracks that are being uh, that you've released already, and maybe you're the have the heaviest rotation in in playing right now in the UK. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because, yeah, how do you pick singles? And I I really felt like I wanted to make sure that given it was a first release and it's it's taken me such a long time to get to the point of doing an album, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, making sure that I like, I'm really pleased that if you feel there's no fillers on it and other people have said that too. And, you know, that was really my intention with the record because I think there's so many albums that you find where you love the artist and you love like one or two songs on the record and then, the rest of the record maybe just sounds a bit like all of those, well, the, the same two songs, just yeah. slightly different right, or whatever. Right. And you think, oh, that's such a disappointment. I was <laughs> wanting to dig deeper into that a bit more. So yeah. I was really sort of intent on making sure that that wasn't the case. Um, and I think it's really difficult to pick singles. Uh, obviously, my approach to that was really just to, you know, play them to people who I trusted and, you know, play the record to people that I trusted. The challenge with that was that everybody liked something different, you know, and in a way that almost at the time, I suppose, made me think, oh, maybe there isn't a single on here or, mm-hmm. you know, but actually as we've gone further forward, I suppose what we've identified and with sort of radio pickup and things like that is that there are, there are multiple singles. And so we've kind of, you know, the intention was really to, to put out the three singles, which we did Preacher Man, then Girl, then we did Heaven Knows, and then we did the album with Flashlights as sort of the lead track that was pitched to the DSPs. Yeah. And then we, you know, once we kind of done that, my intention was to sort of, I'm not saying end it there, but then it's sort of the album campaign and everybody's got it. But obviously we then sort of had demand from radio, like, you know, we really want another single, like what's next sort of thing from the album. And so Mm -hmm. it was like, okay, let's shoot more music videos. Let's do another. And so we're still doing that now. And so we're going to going into February and we've just shot a music video for Trouble, which is going to be the next focus single and I suppose now what I'm kind of doing to identify singles is as you say you know identifying I suppose which ones are sort of picking up the most traction in the market and Mm -hmm. different different songs for different markets certainly in the American market I seem to notice that everybody seems to love flashlights in the US Um, and and in Germany trouble seems to have made its way onto you know a major radio station playlist without (laughs) us doing anything so we're kind of picking up on that now and as we're sort of starting to tour in into like European territories that was sort of (laughs) that's kind of felt like the the right track to to lead with for the next sort of phase of the marketing campaign basically so but yeah at the start it was very difficult to pick pick singles and I led with Preacher Man in the end I think because I felt like it was more it was very immediate and I felt like and I think we were mapping it out and I thought actually girl because it would have probably been girl or Preacher Man first and I think we decided that it would be great to release girl during international women's day in the uk which is in on the 8th of march so that kind of tied in nicely as a second single and a follow-up to to preach man basically yeah. so well, it's almost as yeah. if you have it's almost as you have a little bucket of songs saying here pick one <laughs> right <laughs> pick one <laughs> any one of those could work as a single but you know it's funny how you said how you mentioned flashlights because you know it is one of my favorite tracks of course that's I, that's very hard to say because i love every one of them but oh, flashlights you. i can see how your notion of saying well the us market is 
digging flashlights and and you know it is more of an R&B track than with a medium groove and mm-hmm. in, in fact the mixture of R&B and soul tunes on the album is really great and listen to but but isn't there a fine line between soul and R&B anyway I mean there's a very yeah. fine but uh, talk to us yeah, about uh, flashlights it's a great track <laughs> thank you well it's funny because that was Brian's favorite song and when I asked Brian Oh. about what he thought because brian also worked in a and r for years for warner and he said to me that's the, that should be the lead single and i was like no that can't be the lead single but funnily enough <laughs> um at that track nearly didn't go on the album at all that was that's the one song and that's the one that's that's doing the most in terms of streaming um mm-hmm. i kind of had a real trouble with it at a certain point first of all producing the vocals lead vocals which obviously i'm doing myself so there's a whole layer of complexity to that but also just there was a there was something that just wasn't right about it for ages and i was just not figuring out what it was and it transpired it was sort of like the positioning of the vocals and the, the, you'll notice probably that the tonality that i'm using in the vocals on flashlights is quite different to a lot of the performances on the rest of the album and i sort of was trying to perform it originally in a much more i suppose powerful manner and with more of a full voice and things like that and then when i really sort of toned it down and brought it down to that it somehow just sat much better and the song kind of came to life but it took me such a long time to get to that point that it was kind of getting towards the the final pit you know the, the mm-hmm, sort of deadline mm-hmm. of like this all needs to be done and it was like that's not ready and so it was almost like that one's gonna get disregarded along with the other five that did get disregarded and in the end I found that vocal and where it sat and I we put an extra my my pianist who I play with live I said well you just put a Rhodes part in for me on this track and, and I put that in and it softened it and and then it was like Bang, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> it's ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as you mentioned, this track, Flashlights, is, uh, I guess, it's it's peaking interest here in the States. So why don't we go ahead and pause for a second and let's play this track. This is the track Flashlights from the album Heaven Knows from our guest today, Mika Millar on Inside Music Cast. We come in letters 
baby, let's make it through. There's another track, the, the very minimalistic and very rhythmic. It's the track is called "No Money for Faith" or, or "Freedom." Um, yeah. Very nice track. It's driven by a really heavy downbeat and hand claps, and and then a ton of Rhodes played by Mark Morrison. And um, uh, what's cool about this track is it's 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 sort of unusual. Is is that it starts in D flat major because I, I I listened to that and 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 there's never a real key change or modif- you know, modulation yeah. throughout mm-hmm. the whole three-minute life of the song. So right. very nicely mm-hmm. done. It, it, it works, but I've never really quite heard that, uh, that type of a song on one key <laughs> throughout the whole thing. Talk to us about this, especially in the writing, because you didn't change much. Right. So, I mean, one of the things I really love to do, and we talked a little bit about sort of like um, stream of consciousness writing, which is like, you know, I'm sure some people will know this already, but if they don't, then, you know, it's basically where you put things on a loop and then you would like, well, if you do it in handwriting, you basically just write without thinking and you see what comes out. And if you do it with a, in a songwriting process, yeah. generally speaking, it's put things on a loop and then you mm-hmm. just sing what comes out. And I often find that where I get into a zone most let's say Mm -hmm. is if i've got a repetitive chord structure so you'll probably notice across a lot of the album there's not there are songs with key with chord changes and you know obviously there's but certainly there's a lot of four chord songs for example where they don't there's no sort of significant chord changes the complexity of the arrangement is built into the instrumentation and where it kind of comes in and out rather Mm -hmm, than mm -hmm. in the changes of chords and for that particular song i no money no faith i'd I'd written that on a kind of on a loop and often and i don't know why the why the the chords didn't change i suppose i just was into that vibe at the time and then everything came out like that and once you've done that you can't start changing the chords you know so (laughs) yeah it wasn't that was always quite and that one was quite an interesting sort of process and obviously then you need to kind of make sure that the that the elements are brought in at the right times to ensure that there's a journey and i i kind of really like this idea of like sustaining this sort of long period of waiting for the release if you like yeah. and then having that big release at the end with the drums and the vote you know more vocals yeah. coming in and that kind of lift at the end that's sort of the the climax moment of the song but you have to sort of you have to Wait for it for yeah. a long time, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wait um, for it, wait for it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And maybe some people won't, you know. Maybe some people go, get to the next track. Oh, they don't know That's anything, do they? them. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned earlier about the diversity of the album and how it was really important for you to you know, that each song, that you were, you know, really diving deep in terms of the songwriting process. And there's three tracks that have, you know, a really rich, sultry, and and sort of a deep vibe to them. And and you play piano on the the very elegant and moody stay. And then Down the River is also about, you know, it's it's a slow groove, soulful vibe. And and on My Lover, you sing and also play piano. Mm -hmm. These particular songs and performances are really emotional. And, and, you know, they kind of add to that whole, you know, um, diversion from track to track that you've accomplished on this album. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, well, My Lover's an interesting one because I wrote that quite a long time ago. And that's the original recording from... Oh, really? I mean, I, that was released originally in 2017. It was the oh, first okay. single I released solo. Oh, wow. And I wasn't, it wasn't going to go on the album. And then mm. I, I thought, yeah, and I was going to redo it. And then I decided, no, <laughs> we'll keep it like that. So, you know, I, that was quite a, I remember when I put that out, it was a sort of a very bare bones moment from what I had been doing previously. And it was quite important for me to do that. I think just to strip it, everything right back. And, you know, um, it's about the voice and the song, you know, and, and, you know, I'm, there's a lot of ballads on my computer, you know, piano (laughs) ballads and in songbooks. 
so you know I think it's you know I like I didn't want to make it a song of a, an album of ballads but I certainly could could have done if I wanted to yeah. I think um <laughs> but yeah and down river again that I mean that was a, going back to the stream of consciousness writing that song is two chords um and that was written entirely as a stream of consciousness in a take so i put you know some instrumentation together which was later re-recorded in the studio session at middle farm but i put some a sort of mm-hmm. put some instrumentation together as a demo mm-hmm. and then you know hit record and sung that from start to finish i must have been in a really good vibe doing some doing that because that never happens really mm-hmm. and when i'd finished it i think there were a few words that maybe i sort of adjusted slightly but largely it's it's a sort of an entire you know piece in one take like a freestyle I suppose (laughs) and um yeah and you know I love things like that so yeah it was really good to to get in the studio and record with some you know some great musicians and and get the the sort of it's it came a long way from where it was demo wise and I re-recorded the vocal of course but certainly that sort of structure was maintained yeah um you know i um when i listen yeah. to several of these tracks i mean i'm i'm a type of guy that if i'm if i'm listening to an album and it's it's mood and it's just very rich i i turn off the lights and i just get into it mm-hmm. and just listen to the music you know yeah. there are no distractions that that type of thing and mm-hmm. based on that you're going to laugh at this a little bit but uh <laughs> i think you you owe me an apology because <laughs> <laughs> very, very, I know exactly what you're going to say. Yeah, well, right. God, yes, it is. And <laughs> and there's one track that I was listening to in the dark of, of my living room, and yeah, and, and it's nothing's for keeps. It's nothing for keeps. <laughs> and uh, you know, I you, you made me shed some tears. I'm like Mika. I don't even know you, and you're making me cry. <laughs> this <What>? is amazing. <laughs> but um, but anyway, talk to us about that that tune. It is so rich and sort of dark. It's sort of a about broken relationships and difficulty i mean it's a lot of things happening in this tune yeah nothing for keeps that's a song i have a lot of as i was saying to you you know a back catalogue of writing songs for many many years and i wrote that's the most of the songs on the album were all written in a particular period of time and that one was a song that i'd written long time ago i think i was 18 when i wrote that song and i wanted to bring one song from that era of writing into this album because i felt like you know as you evolve writing you you sort of leave things behind and there's certain ones that sort of stick out to you and you think no you can't just abandon that one you know you got it's got to go through the process so that i wrote you know, a very in a very different headspace, but it's amazing, isn't it? How we were talking about this earlier with my injury and reinterpreting lyrics. Yeah. How how lyrics can sort of transcend time in a way, and that you know I can still relate to that, albeit in a different way. Um, yeah. The process for that song was that we turned all the lights off in the studio, and we decided that we would run through the song. Um, together and I wasn't recording vocals mostly when we were in the studio um, at Middle Farm. I was mainly in the control room a lot or, and my microphone was also in the control room to avoid bleed onto the other instruments. And for that one, I decided I wanted to go into the room. So we set up another mic in the studio and we said, okay, let's just do a run through. And the mm-hmm. engineer hit record when we did the run through. And when we got to the end, everybody looks round at each other and said, Right, well, we're not doing that again. <laughs> and wow. that was the take, yeah. you know, because yeah. yeah, it yeah. just sort of came together in that. And there are there are bits, obviously, as an artist, you sort of critique your performance and things like that, don't you? And when I was sort of listening back to it, I was thinking, oh, I could do that bit better. And, you know, all that sort of nonsense that you go into. <laughs> and I think I sort of conceded that it was such a lovely thing to have something that was just in its entirety, pure yeah. first take, um, all the way through on the record, and that's a really special song to me. Yes, um, for that reason, you know, it, it works. <laughs> Thank and there's, you. <laughs> there's one more track we want to mention uh, before we wrap up here, and that, that's uh, "Give You My Prayer." And yeah. you know, it's kind of the edgiest production on the album. And mm-hmm. you know, you you distorted your lead vocals on this one. And in fact, your voice kind of becomes more 
instrumental, so to speak, mm-hmm. on this track. And, and there's, yeah. you know, really a fantastic guitar solo by uh, Miles James on this one. Great tune to close out the album with. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it was quite a, I suppose it was a left field decision to close the album with that. Some, <laughs> I think there's been lots of amazing album reviews and there's, a, there's been one that was a lovely review and the only criticism of the record was, but why have you finished the album with this song? And, <laughs> you know, there was, a, there, were parts, uh, there was a part of me that thought, yeah, I don't, you know, trying to structure the, an album, particularly if you've got that, those kind of... Um, differing elements to the songs that journey is really important so it did take a long time to structure the record uh-huh. and i'd actually had different options for the for the out and that didn't go anywhere else you know it was like this puzzle piece that was like well this either goes at the end or it's not going anywhere <laughs> and and I actually when i was listening to it i i suddenly had this light bulb moment where i thought but that's kind of like a you know, it's it's an outro, isn't it, in many ways? Like, mm-hmm. almost like, see ya, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm going now. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I really like that about it and the structure <laughs> of it. But the original demo of that song was much less heavy, actually, than how it turned out. And when we got in the studio, really? I, I, I let the, shoot, the, the musicians really kind of take lead, I suppose, on where they took that. And that was something that, came out very interestingly in terms of how they interpreted what my demo was that bass part was there and that was sort of exactly the same but it was quite stripped back in its original demo form and then adding in that sort of you know roaring organ stab and then Mm. you know the guitar solo and all that sort of stuff really you know it sort of brings that almost blues rock element to a soul track very much so yeah. yeah 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 I, I I really loved what they did with it. And it was like, well, that's not actually what I had in my head, but I'm down, you know what I mean? So <laughs> I can't take all the all the credit for that one. You know, I yeah. think I owe that one to the to the musicians, which is probably why it's a lot different in a way to what's on the on the record. But I think they just did such a, a great job. And it's nice to be a bit diverse in, in ways as well, isn't it? And sort of I suppose, keep people guessing about what you might do next. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, Mika, at the very beginning, we talked about, you know, a lot of the writing of these tunes, it was done before your injury, but at the very end, how it was unique that the content and the meaning and the things sort of like blended together. So my question is this, and I don't mean to be deeply theological, but are you a religious person? I'm asking because you you touch the divine on several of your songs, and I wondered— you know, if going through your accident and even before, and if that changed your views on the inspiration for Heaven Knows? Well, I think, you know, people often ask me if I'm religious, and I find it quite a challenging question because right. I think there's traditional sort of religions that are perhaps maybe more maybe, maybe spiritual. I suppose. You know, maybe yeah. spiritual. You I'm, know, and forget the word I'm, religion. Well, no, you're, you're, I like the word religion as well, because I feel that I'm a person who's very open minded, let's say. And so I'm, I'm open to the ideas behind many different religions. And I'm fascinated by religion and spirituality. Mm-hmm. And so I think when I write, it's interesting to me that that's the thing that comes out of me. And that's, you know, I, I feel a very deep connection to the universe without sounding like a hippie, you know, but like I do, I do. And I, and I think that songwriting, I mean, I, I can't remember who described it like this, but I, I love this description and it's actually what inspired the, the, the logo that I use this emblem, which is like a dream catcher, with yeah. a female symbol. Mm-hmm. And that came from, you know, the, this idea that we're channelers of, of things. So we're not the, you know, we're a vessel to channel ideas through from something there's a higher power than us and there's a there's this sort of i can't remember who speaks about it but there's this idea that like songs and ideas and concepts are sort of in you know waving around the universe and we can catch them you know and if we don't catch them and utilize them and turn them into something then the next person then it will fly on and go to the next person you know yeah. and I'd, I'm not saying I, that's what I think and that's what I yeah. believe but I have a deep you know I, I have a, a a great appreciation for that as a sort of as a concept and a, an idea and I think it's hum- more humbling to sort of think of it in that way that you channel 
things rather than that you are the creator of things in many ways so Mm -hmm. you know but certainly when i talk about sort of like heaven knows you know i'm i'm referring to um god in my own interpretation of what that means to me which is very difficult to eloquently um articulate i suppose because it's very personal Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah right beautiful good answer thank you well mika Congratulations on such a wonderful project, uh, heaven knows, and uh, and we wish you, you know, uh, obviously a full recovery soon. It sounds like you're doing much, much better. And Thank you. just, uh, I'm I'm looking at Eddie. He's still got a he's still got like a tight grasp on your album. You cannot touch this album. It's <laughs> and, uh, my album from Mika. Yeah. So where can our <laughs> listeners, you know, uh, find your music or the LP, like the one uh, Eddie's clutching onto right Leave now? Leave me alone. <laughs> they, <laughs> they can find it on my Bandcamp profile. So if okay. they search me, Camilla, which is spelt with the Miller is everybody incorrectly spells it so it's M-I-L-L-A-R if you're going to do a Google search for me but yeah if you go to my website or my band camp you'll be able to find a physical vinyl or physical CD all signed um, and obviously you can stream on all of the, the general streaming platforms and all that stuff yeah mm-hmm. and, and I heard you mention earlier that uh, the, about a, a possible second album is that something that's in the works I mean, is it in the works? Yes, I've got a whole playlist of ideas that I'm sort of that are on the back burner at the moment while we're in the midst of all of this other stuff and touring and things like that. But yes, there's there will be for sure a second album as to when it will be. I'm I I can't say anything about that yet. <laughs> sure. I, you know, it's it's a long process, isn't it? But yeah. you know. I'm working on it. Well, we have high hopes that uh, you make it on this side of the pond. We're going to leave it at that and not going to get into asking those type of questions. But it, you're going to go. This uh, album is going to move very, very quickly when you, uh, uh, as you keep on uh, releasing these these tracks. And, and like Rick Thanks. just said, congratulations! You yeah. did a great, great job. Thank you so much, and thank you very much for having me and for such insightful and lovely questions. I've really enjoyed it. Right, well, you're welcome. Thanks so much, and take care. And we'll uh, we'll, we'll certainly want to talk to you down the road. Great, look all forward right. to it. Thank you. All right, take care. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye. Go all the way down to Broken Hearted Lane, and take a left at the crossroads, or you might go insane. Oh. Mind your step when you're walking out in the rain. You never know when trouble's gonna come your way. Special thanks to Mika Millar for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. We also want to thank our Inside Music Cast correspondents for their support and dedication, including Brian Pearson in Chicago, Kim Riley in South Florida, Scott Gross in Tampa, Mikhail Ingstrom in Stockholm, Scott Sheriff in Nashville, Don Brightup in Los Angeles, Loretta Sassaman in Seattle, Yinka Oyelese in New Jersey, and Arnaud Legere in Paris. Now you can show your support for Inside Music Cast by making a donation at InsideMusicCast.com. Your donation will help us to continue producing future episodes of Inside Music Cast and keep Inside Music Cast radio streaming 24-7. You can also receive special Inside Music Cast merch, such as t-shirts, stickers, and coasters for your support at various levels. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thank you for your support of Inside Music Cast. Thank you.